Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Boundary of Disaster. And our newest episode of this motor racing podcast. Joining me is Matt Bone. Hello. And Matt Willis. Hello. Our plan for the podcast is to discuss the very latest news in the racing world and discuss the current state of the sport we love. And the thing is, if you've listened to our last episode with Hazel, you might have noticed that there was three reasonably middle-aged white guys chatting about motorsport. So we thought we'd change that up, really. So we've got a guest who's going to be joining us regularly, except she's a uni student and, you know, she has a life. So she might not be as free as us. But I'm delighted to introduce our soon-to-be resident Formula 2 expert, Ellie Bone Osborne, who you might guess from the name. We've got a bit of nepotism going on here. She is my daughter. So after years of trying to get her into motorsport, the monster has been created. So we'd just like to welcome her. Hello, Ellie. Hi. Are you looking forward yeah, to this? Yeah, it's going to be fun. She's also going to be doing our social media, whether she likes it or not, because she's young and knows how these things work. <laughs> Coming to a TikTok for you page. What is a TikTok? It's like a video. It can be up to three minutes. Most of them are probably about a minute and a half or two, though. And I suppose in a way like Twitter, where you have the um, trending page or whatever, you have a for you page. And just random videos come up and the more you use it, the more like it notices what hashtags you're looking into and stuff. So my whole for you page is just Formula One because that's all I seem to look at on TikTok. So, yeah, it's a good, good place to start. I think getting more viewers in because a lot of podcasts use TikTok to bring people in these days. <laughs> Still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Anyway. So can we do that that the the trailer thing I made as a can we do that as a TikTok or would would that Oh yeah it'd be really good as a TikTok. Yeah, that'd work definitely. Okay. Yeah, definitely yeah. as an intro. Good Might have to occasionally film our ugly mugs as well doing this to um <laughs> to put on there. Yeah. Yeah, I will be. I need I need this all recorded, the videos and all to All right, in yeah. that case well, remember <laughs> to turn the video on next time. So so lady and gentlemen, um there's been quite a bit going on and we're sort of squeezing this one in for a few topics before we have uh, our, our next guest on, which we're lining up soon to be announced, but there's been some developments. And I think the one to start with was the announcement last week that Susie Wolf was stepping down from Venturi, which was a surprise, I guess. Well, Maserati are taking over there, aren't they? So it's maybe not that much of a surprise, but it's a shame because she was for a while the great hope of seeing a woman in in a Formula One car regularly, even if it just was in practice. I don't know about you guys. I, I was quite quite sad to see her step down from that role. Yeah, definitely. And I think she's been one of these figures who's been, you know, like like Claire Williams, um, who again, sadly, no longer managing a Formula One team, has has uh, has been one of these people who's been a bit more visible, um, has been sort of pushing the. Um, the the sort of visibility of, of women getting on and actually not just being there for the quotas, but actually doing doing as good a job as, as the men, both to an extent in the car for for Susie and as, as as being a really, you know, really good team manager in Formula E. And, you know, it'd be a shame if 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 that sort of progress doesn't get built on. So yeah, I mean it is. I mean it's, it's like you say with Maserati taking over, it's not terribly surprising that they want to ring the changes a little bit and and um, you know have their own people 
managing the team but but it is a it is a shame and it's something that I think motorsport is often taking sort of you know two steps forward and one step back on this kind of thing or even one step forward and one step back Adam yeah I agree yeah I would agree um exactly what what Matt just said there it's um it, it feels like you know there's a bit of progress made there and then all of a sudden it comes to a bit of a, of a dead stop and obviously you, you worry sort of where that's going to go, where that or, or sort of where that future is for women in those sorts of positions. So it's it's a shame. And, and, and again, as Matt said, alongside obviously Claire Williams no longer being involved in the sort of top echelons of motorsport. It's uh, it's sad to see. Yeah. And, you know, I think the sad thing as well is probably many people know her as sitting next to Toto on a helicopter and drive to survive. They don't realise that she had an outstanding career. I was going to say, I think, you know, I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? That too many people know her as uh, purely because of her surname. It's, uh, it's a shame. I think it was quite in the last series of, uh, of Drive to Survive. I think they made it, they did their best to make it clear and that she was always captioned as Venturi team boss rather than Mrs. Wolf. And again, I think she was very much kind of focusing on her own expertise and her own take on the racing as someone who was from that you know, who has that experience rather than just being sort of equivalent to Jerry Horner. But yeah, I mean, it's, and again, so it's funny how so, loads of people sort of, you see, again, you see this on social media, people assuming that the team she was managing in Formula E was the Mercedes team um, and having to be corrected that, no, it's a completely unrelated team um, and she's there on her own merit. And she's, you know, being a very successful team boss and it's got absolutely nothing to do with who she's married to. And it's just, it's perhaps unsurprising given the nature of, of motorsport um, and its fandom until relatively recently. But uh, um, yeah, and it's it's uh, it's a shame to see her step down. It really is. And I, I hope she gets another, another comparable role or a better one, um, you know, sooner rather than later. I think there's there's probably some Formula One teams where um, that would would benefit from from her in a, a senior pit wall pit wall role. To be honest, perhaps a new Ferrari strategist in the making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they want to try something, don't they? <laughs> well, see, you know, I'm free next. I'm free next week. I, mean, come on. <laughs> I know that's all that's been coming up recently. Is there anybody saying I will interview for a? Ferrari strategist job if they're taking them, but you know Matthias is saying they don't need any change. So no, because the season's got so great for them, we don't need to. You know why would they need to change anything? Yeah, a bit in denial. When the bin fire is roaring as big as that bin fire is, I suppose you just let it, have to let it burn out as opposed to trying to put it out. Don't you? <laughs> you don't know what's going on in the background at Ferrari, but it's just and Matteo is a totally different character to uh you know to Arriva Bene and his his engagement with the media is completely different but um and I get that there's no blame cult they're trying to get rid of the blame culture at Ferrari and they're trying not to have a situation where something goes wrong and it's instantly someone's fault and you know you're kind of looking for someone to 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 kick but on the other hand it's just sticking your head in the sand and saying no, 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 we're happy with our approach. Everything's everything's fine. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. That's not really any better. But, you know, it, it's uh, it's always fascinating to watch just how Ferrari are going to screw up this week. They'll find a way. Well, they, they do have 
you know, looking looking ahead to Spa, they they do have a new excuse, and that isn't it this weekend that the new flexi floor rules come into, or is it the bounce test? How much a car can oscillate through? So they they've all got new new rules to complain about, which may or may not help Mercedes, which I kind of am happy about because you know I've quite liked those two Mercedes drivers as opposed to the two in the cars with the fizzy drinks on the side of it. <laughs> Technically, Mercedes does as well with Monster all over them. Yeah, but we won't talk about that because Mon- <laughs> Monster has sponsored a lot of cool- cooler people in the past. Yeah. But there we go. Anyways, the main topic that we wanted to talk about this week was ticket prices because Adam was the first one that mentioned it to us. What did you see pop up during the week which had us all raging in our group chat? Yeah, so I saw a tweet by Adam Stern that was um, in relation to the suggestion that uh, MGM Resorts International were going to buy, uh, you know, roughly twenty to twenty-five million dollars worth of um, of the tickets for the F1 Grand Prix in uh, in Las Vegas, and essentially create package deals with the hotels to sell on to punters. And there was again the suggestion that some of these packages could retail for up to a hundred thousand dollars, and I just read it and immediately sort of sighed because whilst I will concede that it, looking at the track layout in Vegas, it doesn't necessarily represent a track that is that has lots of options in terms of you know your general admission tickets and your grandstand tickets. It's just another Grand Prix on top of those that already exist that will be exclusively for rich people. And it just it worries me that, that Formula One in general is moving in a certain direction that means that sooner or later, your, your average everyday punter, like myself, are not going to be able to afford to attend anymore. And we're going to be restricted to watching it on TV, which I think would be a massive shame. Matt, what was your take on it? Yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I, th- I think it's... We've got to start looking at the question of who Formula One is for and just the extent to it. I mean, we're used to a situation in Formula One in which money talks. And this has been the case for for many decades now, um, particularly in the sort of current manufacturer era. You need so much money to go racing that inevitably people go chasing where the money is. And because I think of particularly sort of beginning with the Bernie era, the sport has been somewhere that attracts money and it's become more about how you kind of direct that money into the sport and rather than, yeah, I don't know. It's just, and this is just seems to be another step on that path. So the fans, I think, have been previously kind of treated as, you know, a bit of a... Um, We've not been terribly indulged. I mean, if you've been to sort of places like Silverstone in the 90s, uh, you know, the early 2000s, they were not very, for your average punter, they were not particularly pleasant places to watch a motor race. You had to sort of turn up at midnight and queue in a field. Um, and then, you know, you, you get to stand on the banking with, with everyone else. And, um, you know, there's a couple of support races and it's just crowded and packed. And there isn't an awful lot to see. Well, there wasn't back then. I don't, it's... It, whether it's it's the, the sort of fan experience has improved a bit since then, um, you know, it may well have done. I think probably some of these 
older circuits have had to get their act together a little bit. But then, you know, also you've got the developments like these houses that they're building at Silverstone, um, which is, you know, again, it's a sort of, it's taking this premium market, this kind of really kind of moneyed, not even fans, you know, people who are, this is kind of strikes me as like the corporate boxes at football. It's for people who are spending a lot of money to, for their product or for their brand or whatever. And it's for them to kind of come in and look and experience the, the razzmatazz of Formula One, and it's sort of yet another thing that's just pushing the ordinary punter out there, um, kind of out of the frame. So I don't know. I think I think we're going to have to start asking more and more, who is Formula One for? You know, what is the treatment of the fans? What does what does Formula One? You know, Liberty. How do they see the fans? Where do they fit? Where do we fit into to all of this? And I'm not sure it's a particularly pleasing answer. No, and I feel like in the last few years, obviously, as a newer fan and a younger person, I can't speak for that long, but I feel like there have been some really great strides to get more people into Formula One, even, unfortunately, with things like Drive to Survive, even with the turn sometimes it's taken. But that and then so many teams are getting so much more fan engagement through events that they're holding and even with things like during lockdown a bunch of the boys did the Twitch stream and stuff. It's bringing in, it, it seemed like it was bringing in a new era of fans like people my age and younger bringing in more fans and it was going to get more accessible and it was going to be more of a fun place to be and I mean you were saying that before at places like Silverstone the old circuits there wasn't it wasn't a great place to be and now you've got the fan zones and they have the pit challenges and stuff so and it felt like there were such great things in store and it was going to be really good and now with these hiking up prices it's getting even more elitist than the sport already is. I mean, even to get into it, it's extortionate. And now to be a fan, it's going to be just as extortionate. And it's sad because proper fans aren't going to be the people going. It's going to be the sponsors or people flashing and saying like, look, this is what I can afford to go to. And all the influences and stuff like that, trying to Mm. bring in their own money as opposed to people who actually want to go and watch the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. I I just have to say, I don't don't miss the mud at Silverstone. Yeah, it, it, it's that. But what what needs to be done in these sorts of things is spreadsheets, and everybody loves a good spreadsheet. And thankfully, Vegas Insiders did one where they broke down basically a, a grandstand ticket and a bunch of different elements for hotels. Say so, it's very much an American centric spreadsheet because <laughs> we go to the Grand Prix, we camp. <laughs> What's this? Is there actually a ho- hotels there that you can afford? I don't think so. But what's very interesting is, you know, Monaco's up there for grandstand ticket, three days, 500 quid. Silverson's about 300 quid for grandstands, which I think has actually gone up again from when this was done. But it's looking around the patch, there isn't really a cheap Grand Prix anymore. You know, Hungara Ring's coming in at about 100 quid. Spa used to be the great leveler because you used to be able to go to Spa for the whole weekend, including your crossings. Um, for less than it would cost you to get in on a Sunday at Silverstone. But it mm. it was really surprising looking at just how expensive it was across the board before you get to the Mickey Mickey Mouse events like Miami, which is, yeah, whatever. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, if there's an extent to which some of these means of getting entry to the Grand Prix that are super expensive, if there's an extent to which those are, are subsidising the ordinary fans to get in for a reasonable amount, 
then okay, I can accept that. I don't know that that's actually what's happening. I mean, again, I thought with Silverstone that uh, with the new owners that 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 they were kind of improving things and that the, the the price of general admission had gone down considerably from from where it had been. But now there's you know this this row of houses that they're building with uh, along the straight. Uh, I think isn't that between Cops and Maggots Beckett's? Is that yes. somewhere right in thinking? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which used to be a you know a decent place to it was a great place to watch the cars coming out of cops and then along to and i'm still used to the situation where the the straight before cops was the pit straight and i cannot get used to it being somewhere else now i just <laughs> my head won't accept yeah. it i'm so old um but uh you know i remember walking along there and i think it was uh, you know on free practice on in 2000 the year when they had it in april and it was just chucking down with rain the whole time. And they had to close it on the Saturday because of the, not the Thursday, the Friday. It's not Monaco, is it? And, you know, watching the cars come through there. And it's, it's quite good. It was quite good to sort of watch them coming out of Cops and then up towards Maggots Beckett's. And, you know, it's uh, nowhere at Silverstone is that great for spectating. You know, not by the standards of somewhere like Brands or Donington, where you can see a lot of the circuit at once. But, yeah, it's just, and now to lose all of that, because for people who can, again, very much this thing of of you know they're not residential properties you're not allowed to live there they are they're second homes uh with a big balcony on the roof and the idea being that you rent them out for for a silly money for the weekend of the um of the grand prix or you know any other event but you know realistically you know it's not going to be GB3 or or one of the uh, the sort of minor championships that's that's that people are going to pay money for and use these houses for it's going to be the Formula One and maybe the, the Silverstone six hours or something like that and you know if if these things are putting money in at, so that it keeps the price of general admission down then okay maybe that's something we can accept even though it's like it reduces the the space that normal fans can can use. I don't know. Is that what it's being used for? I think what bothered me most about it from from this year was when we walked on the Friday. We walked around the around the track, and it was the first time that we we start to see the clearance that's going on to start building these houses. And what they've had to do is they've had to build a big tarmac road, basically on the just just inside the the crash barriers or the marshalling posts along that whole stretch so that they've created the extra space they need to build these houses. Now, along that stretch of the track, there was always banking, which, of course, when you've got general admission tickets, if you've not got grandstand tickets, that banking is invaluable to you because, obviously, it gives you, you know, you, it gives you a good vantage point of a certain section of the track. It lifts you it, up yeah, above the barriers. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. And it, for, for me, it was just a fact that all of that had been taken away and there was no... I'm happy to stand corrected if if anyone ever does, but it didn't look to me like there was any thought over replacing it. What I found odd about that was that this year at Silverstone there was there was all this there was all this song and dance about the fact that it was it was the biggest GP event in the UK ever. You know, it'd gone up from three hundred and sixty odd thousand last year over over the course of the weekend to four hundred thousand this year, yet provided fewer places for people to sit and this is a aside from obviously the current discussion but didn't really seem to make too many changes to the infrastructure in general to cope with the increased numbers and it just it felt very much like 
somebody had gone, oh, we're going to build build these to make lots of money. Um, it'll mean that we're going to have to get rid of all this, but you know who cares? Because we'll make lots of money. That's kind of how it felt looking at the, looking at the that that part of the track when we were there earlier this year. Which uh, again, you know, going back to the whole conversation about you know making these races affordable and fun for punters is you know they they seem to be losing touch with that completely. Yeah, I think it's sort of the point that Ellie made earlier about the sort of the improvements that had been made with the fan zone and and things like that, and and now this, and it feels like again it's one of those two steps forward, one steps back kind of thing because the money's there, and it's just they just take the easy option and and um, rake in a load of cash rather than um, pursue that that more kind of open and welcoming ethos that they'd kind of told us that they wanted to. You made a good point, Adam, about the infrastructure there because you know we were all there last year. And it's noticeable that around the outside of the track where the sort of general admission tickets get you in is where all the food stalls are behind behind the main corners. The inner track is essentially, you used to be able to just walk in, you wouldn't be allowed in the paddock, but you could still get on the inside of some of the corners for a different view. Now that's all, you need a, a specific infield pass for that, which costs you a chunk more money unless you've got hospitality. And then the main sort of fan zone bit is over by the old bridge corner, which isn't there anymore, which is really weird walking under that, knowing mm. this is bridge. This used to be, you know, an epic, epic corner. And that's all out of the way. So it's, that's where they've put like the, the music stage and, and things like that. It, it was, it was strange how they were making lots of effort to almost get you away from the track. It felt when you wanted to, to do bits and pieces yeah, this it was your first time there last year, Els. What what did you think of it? Yeah, well, I was supposed to be going with a friend, and then she had to slum it with me. Yeah, can't he can't he cancelled <laughs> last minute? So it was, Dad, do you want a free ticket? And of course, she didn't say no. I think but... I've paid for that ticket many times <laughs> over the years. But yeah, no, it was strange though because walking around when you walk around the majority, like obviously it goes that in the, in the middle and that's where the fan zone is but when you're walking around the actual outside of the track there's not a lot there and it does feel like they're trying to drag everyone into the middle where they've got the big ferris wheel where all the main vendors are and stuff and trying to buy all the extortionate merch and everything like that and i don't it's kind of unclear why really because obviously most people that are there and are there in general admission or are there on a grandstand are there because they want to see the action they want to see the sport mm. and obviously doing the three three-day experience it's not just about the f1 like we were lucky last year we had the um the historic no the porsche cup was it the porsche cup something like that the f2 the w series all of that going on and yet you can't see it if you're in the fan zone because you can't see any of the track from there you can hear it but you can't see it it was obviously it was an amazing weekend but that fan zone isn't where you want to be the whole time it's somewhere you think, oh I've got to go get food to go pay 20 pounds for a sandwich let's go there and it's always packed but no overall it was a really good weekend and thankfully the camping wasn't actually as extortionate as I thought it would be but it wasn't something I'm in a hurry to do again Hmm. The other thing as well, Boney, you shared a well. It, well, it's the Vegas Insider article that goes into a bit more detail about sort of what the average weekend cost of a Grand Prix is at the bottom of the article, and obviously it talks about all the things that you have to consider when you go to a Grand Prix. And of course, one of those things is is food. You know, even if you're camping, you know, unless you buy a uh, electric pitch or you're lucky enough to be able to go in a caravan or a camper van, you don't have the ability to 
well, I mean, me and Soph tried it this year and it is difficult. It's, I would say it's just about doable, but it is difficult to take food and keep it cool enough to keep it fresh. So you do have to consider that whether it's breakfast or it's lunch or it's dinner or whatever, every day you are going to have to buy food when you're in there. And it it, it doesn't come as a surprise. And I know that it's just the way things, you know, the way things are, but the, the food is extortionately priced. I mean, you're looking at, regardless of what you eat, for two people, you are looking at at least 30 quid a night. You know, for food that is almost without ex- without exception not worth 30 quid. <laughs> and I just think, you know, is it time that somebody steps in and says, look, you know, there has to be something in place that puts a cap on what people can charge at events like this. You know, because otherwise it just becomes an extortionately priced weekend for people. You know, whether that, you know, whether that goes up as far as as far as government and the sports minister and saying, look, you know, let's not take the mick out of people here, because that is what these food, you know, these food and beverage providers are doing at the Grand Prix is they are, you know, they're, they're taking advantage of the situation that they're, they, they're, that they're in. I was just going to say, you say that, but I, I used to work for a couple who used to do bacon bat van at Le Mans, and they used to make so much money out of that they bought a house in france with cash on the way home so it's you know even if you're just doing bacon it's not too bad but you know we're going to put the um the links to the article and this spreadsheet into the description before because it does make for depressing reading just Mm. for some of the you know you expect monaco to be expensive but some of these other places are a bit crazy but sorry matt i'm Talk over here. No, no, it was just, I mean, to be honest, it was, um, you know, it's just like, because it was the same at Goodwood, Goodwood Festival of Speed, the, the cost of food there is. And to an extent, it's, yeah, people have got a captive audience. Part of that, I think, is, is there an extent to which the circuits or the venues are charging the vendors that much money for their pitches that they have to put their prices up to try and make mm. something. It sounds from what Matt was saying about the the couple at Le Mans, maybe not, or uh, maybe not quite so much. That, that um, was a while ago. I'll, I'll, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I get the impression that they have to pay a lot to be there and they have to kind of wring as much out of people as they can to, mm. but, you know, and again, and part of the problem with Formula One is, um, I don't know if it's still the situation, I, w- I would imagine it is, Again, during the Bernie era, it was that the um, all the advert all the TV money obviously goes to Formula One. Nothing goes to the circuit. All of the advertising at the circuit goes to Formula One. Nothing goes to the circuit itself. So the the owners of the circuit have to make their money via things like well, obviously by general admission, by tickets, by grandstand tickets, and by selling space for people selling food and stuff. And that all that cost gets pushed onto the fan because so much of it has been hoovered up by formula one before it even gets to you know before the circuit has made any money at all and in those countries where the government isn't subsidizing the grand prix then the circuit itself is kind of they have to charge a certain amount so they're so they even break even um so I think, again, part of this is down to, to Formula One being this great black hole that sucks up all the money before all the people kind of around the periphery of it. And you kind of think actually the circuits, to think of them as being like secondary players in this just seems so mad. But yeah. Well, yeah, we did hospitality on the Friday, just trackside, which is the cheapest one, I think, at Silverstone. And Not that cheap, ladies and no. gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> but 
all the food is included. They have like in trackside, they had little vendors there and some of the drinks were and stuff. And honestly, I remember us saying like the saddest thing is, is that you're probably saving a little bit of money if you do it that a little bit, because we didn't then have to buy anything that whole Friday. And mm-hmm. obviously you're not saving money, but it's for, for a decent seat right on cops and all your food and drinks included for the day other than obviously spirits and stuff but you know the beer was on there the wine and the soft drinks it does take a bit of it when you think about it, it does make it less extortionate than initially you'd think but it's on top of your entry ticket i so, don't i think that's just because we already had them no it was on it was on top because yeah, i trust me i checked <laughs> Um, <laughs> to make sure, but yeah, you know, to be fair, there was people in there that were guessing their money's worth in their weight in Heineken, <laughs> which is pretty pathetic. Really. Well, um, which is a whole other problem, but you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we found out, didn't we, Matt, last year? So um, yes, we we won't talk about that guy anymore. Um, no. <laughs> but it's it, you know, it's interesting. I I I started googling around this spreadsheet, thinking, well, what 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 is comparable? And I think I sent it to you guys as well. That if you look. So we've got um, the spreadsheet from Vegas Insider. If we look at France, not why you'd want to go to Paul Ricard, I, I don't know. Oof. But uh, yeah. <laughs> grandstand ticket, two days, £195. Airbnb, they were working out at about £275. And amazingly, it's like 63 quid for six inexpensive meals. I don't know how they worked that out. But we looked at Le Mans. So for next year's race, 10th, and 11th of June, if anyone's excited to go, you can get for £285, however much that's going to be worth next year, you can get your crossing, two people in a car, camping, and general admission for the race day. So that's the Saturday and the Sunday, and then sort of arrive arrive, arrive on the Friday, leave on the Monday for 285 quid mm. for literally 24 hours of cars going around a track that's remarkably good value ladies oh, and yeah i would say that that is that is really good value for the quality of racing that you're going to see at that at that venue as well mm. you know it's that's good value well for silverstone last year for the two tickets i paid 400 pounds for the three-day general admission and that was on the, that was in April, so I didn't book it very far in advance. So obviously, it had been cheaper beforehand. But this year, when I looked at the same time, just thinking, oh, you know, talking to Dad, we could we could go. Had to look in April. It was starting from two hundred and fifty-four pounds each, each, and that's a fifty-four pound increase than what I paid for per ticket last year. And that's just that's just in a year. Imagine what it's going to be in the next couple of years. So they'd, they'd hike the prices by twenty-five percent. Oh my God. Yeah, we 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 paid two hundred and thirty pound a head, I think, for our tickets this year for the weekend, and then we camped. At, I don't know where you guys camped last year. We camped at the the woodland campsite, and I think that that was hundred and eighty odd quid, something like that. But you know, realistically speaking, you're looking at spending you know easily eight hundred quid over the course of a weekend. I dread to think, you know, the ticket prices, as far as I know, are going to be released at the beginning of September. And I dread to think what they're going to be this year. And and it does beg the question, you know, how many people are actually going to be able to afford to go? You know, with everything, the way that it's going at the moment, with, you know, energy prices and all that, um, 
petrol. You know, how many people is it, yeah, how many people is it going to, to completely price out? Yeah. Um, you know, Silverstone and Formula One don't care as long as somebody buys the tickets. You know, so Yeah, that, it feels like there are always gonna be people you know, people lining up to to pay to hand over the money and if if you've got people on lower incomes who can't then F one is not too bothered. I think that's a probably a good place to wrap this up because I don't think they want those people anymore. You know, they've Ellie's been sitting here looking up the, the prices for the, the Hilton hotel that's opening next month at Silverstone as well. And it's, it's what, you know, 286 pounds per night on a trackside room. And that's not for the race days, is it? This is great radio. Us, us looking at an iPad with, with dates. On it. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to jump that's, in. That's I'm for just... random. That's for a random day in October and it's 300 quid a night. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just imagine what that's going to be for, a Grand Prix for the six hours, even for the classic, which is this weekend as well. Mm. Well, bear in mind that you'll be squeezing into the rooms that aren't used by the teams anyway. Yeah, know, yeah. There might be ten percent of that hotel left that aren't that isn't taken up by the teams. Well, yeah, it's a you Hilton. Know, so... So that, most of the teams are sponsored by Hilton and stuff, so they stay there all over the place. Mm. When I was in Budapest a couple of weeks ago, happened to just miss the Grand Prix. Didn't know where they were staying, but it happened to walk past the Hilton. There's nearly a thousand fans stood outside, and funnily enough, then you see Yuki Tsunoda, Pierre Gasly, and Esteban Ocon. But it cool. is going to be, it's yeah, it's madness. Yeah, not good planning on my part, being in Budapest, leaving the day of the Grand Prix. But. Right, we've basically been complaining about money now for a long time. Which, to be fair, <laughs> no, I'm I'm just going to jump in. I'm just just before we leave the money thing, I'm going to say there's life outside Formula One. There's loads of other motorsport yeah. out there, which is much much more affordable. And you know, yeah. it, great great day out. British Touring Car Championship at Thruxton. Uh, what, what's that next weekend? Fifteen quid for you know for an adult ticket for for the Sunday, I think. And it's yeah, just, you know, that's discounted. But, you know, it's you can get the you know, historic Formula One at somewhere like Brands. And it's like 25 quid for the, you know, for a day. Uh, and yeah. you get to see Formula One cars, you know, proper, proper Formula One cars uh, on a proper old circuit. And it's, it's so much more... It's so much more affordable. And okay, you don't have the superstar drivers. And, you know, you're not watching the absolute most advanced you know cars in the world and all that stuff but there is motorsport out there and i think i would encourage those particularly those younger fans who who have kind of come into the sport a bit more recently sort of via the sort of social media side of things um but you do check out those other forms of motorsport because to a slightly lesser extent than in the past i mean i used to be able to go to formula three and you'd see kind of i was checking some of the the races i went to back in the late 90s and you know there were half a dozen future f1 drivers there uh, you know and it's it's um obviously the formula three and formula two is a bit more tied to the formula one uh calendar these days but um you know there are those other junior series there are a lot of other junior series like formula British Regional formula and... four they race at Brands hatch i think yeah, yeah, I think there's that part of the GT, um, yeah, I think the so. British GT um, support program. But you know, there's some great racing out there, um, and and it's so much more affordable than Formula One. It's like it's pocket money in comparison. And and you're quite right. And if you like the historics, don't think it's just Goodwood. There's plenty of of, of great mm. historics out there as well, especially at Brands, you know, historic Grand Prix, which is a fantastic, fantastic day yeah. out because. A, you, you blow your eardrums out, but it's usually June, he wants to say, but it's, um, it's 
well, stuff at yeah. Brands. Well, I think yeah. I, yeah. No, I, know, but I think there's the the historic masters at Brands is usually May, and then they have a, another historic um, in July. Um, I think the one at Thruxton was that was that was like September last year, but this year I think was June or July. Um, yeah. But you know, there's half a dozen good historic meetings um, around you know circuits around the country, uh, which you know, and they've they've got some. Um, I'll I'll throw some photos on the the blog because I I went to Thruxton last year and and just the the machinery there was just absolutely fantastic and uh, and you know they properly race it as well it's not just it's not just a procession um, mm. you know it's um uh, you know oh. it's it's really worth doing for for sure we'll we'll put all that up and if anyone fancies joining on the Patreon you can you can get all that and see Matt's photographs and he does take a nice photograph we'll, we'll give we'll give him we'll give him that but let's let's Thank get you. on back to let's look to the future otherwise we're going to be talking about historic racing and <laughs> the sad thing is <laughs> when, we, when we when we when we when we talk about historic racing that's like super old for a lot of people when we talk about going to races in the nineties that is historic <laughs> racing. Yeah, they see Seb yeah. in the in in <laughs> Nigel's Williams, and they think, "Wow, that was that was like the olden days." Um, no, that was our youth, ladies I don't and think gentlemen. I'm that bad. Yeah, not that bad. <laughs> but let's let's talk Formula Two because it's an interesting year because this is one of those years that suddenly everybody desperately needs a young hot driver, and nobody is really standing out. Ellie our resident Formula 2 person, is anybody standing out? Well, Felipe, Felipe Drogovic is leading the championship by nearly 40 points, 39 points to be exactly, and that's a big improvement because last year he came eighth, um, just ahead of Liam Lawson. Um, and obviously you've got people like Liam Lawson and Logan Sargent who are kind of the the top of the list at the moment because they are in driver academies and unfortunately a lot of Formula 2 drivers this year aren't. Um, most of them are just kind of getting by. I mean, a lot of them have had years out where they haven't been able to afford it from lack of sponsorship and stuff and then they've been given a shot back in. But there isn't a lot of ways into Formula 1 at the moment. There isn't a lot of paths because you've got a lot of people in there and a lot of people in the wings like Oscar Piastri and that whole disaster. And obviously last year, they didn't want a lot of young drivers coming in. I mean, Guan Yu Zhou was the only one that went in last year. No, yeah, this year even. And then obviously last year you had Nikita and Mick and all that. But no, next year there isn't as many drivers who are in academies like there have been the last couple of years. Yeah, no, so Felipe Djokovic kind of a new one coming in because obviously he's not sponsored by a team. He's not an in-driver academy, but he's doing very well. But he's own, he's won three of the 10 feature races and one of the sprints have been a lot of different winners this year. No one really dominating like in the Oscar years of Formula 3 and 2. Teo Porcher is currently in second and Logan Sargent in third. And this is Logan Sargent's first year in Formula 2. He's a rookie, so he's doing really well. So Logan's the one that's being eyed up by Williams, if he can get the points. Yeah, well, he's a Williams junior. He's a Williams Academy driver. Yeah. He's American, and I think they're hoping it will bring in more sponsors that way, but I'm not entirely convinced. Gents, what do you think? I know we go on about Williams quite a bit normally, <laughs> but you know, has <laughs> have Williams painted themselves into such a corner that Sargent's really their only option? Um, or, do, or, or do they stick with Nicholas? 
We've also got Nick DeVry eyeing up a seat. Yeah, but we don't talk about Nick after that stupid accident in the Formula E. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been I've actually been quite impressed with Logan Sargent this season. Um because it's his it's his if I'm if I'm not incorrect, his first season in F two, isn't it? Yeah, it is. um, he was in F three for two years before that, I think. But this is yes. he did a, a he did a test or like one race in Formula Two last year just as a stand in, but this is his first full season. Yeah. And I, I, you know, uh, watching his racing, I think that he's 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 a pretty talented driver. Um, he's he's got some aggression to him as well, which I think you need um, in in any sort of um, discipline of racing, really. And to, to be where he is in the standings, you know, after however many, what are we looking at, nine or ten events so far this season, um, I think he's done pretty well. Uh, whether he's ready for. Formula One, I don't know. I would probably say no. Um, he might want another season in, in Formula Two. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think that Williams have got a, a relatively decent driver on their hands in, in Logan Sargent. He is going to get there, I think. Yeah, um, I'd agree with you with him needing another year. I mean, he's not someone like Oscar who can go in every season and win straight off the bat. He, I think he'd need a bit of work. But, I mean, he's... 21 and in Formula 2, so he's doing well, hmm. considering he's still quite young. But is he actually faster in a Formula 1, sorry, in a Formula 2 car than he would be in that Williams? <laughs> <laughs> well, who can say? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. I think the thing with Formula 2 um, and its relationship with Formula 1 um, for the last few years particularly, is that, that everyone wants the, the Oscar Piastri or the George Russell or the Charles Leclerc who can sort of, you know, come in and win it in their rookie year. And I think if people don't win it in their rookie year, they start to get a little bit, almost a little bit on the shelf. And I think the days when drivers could take a few more years to really come into their talent, it's a shame that sort of, you know, you think with Nigel Mansell's junior career, you know, he'd have never got anywhere near Formula One, let alone you know, been sort of one of the top drivers for a generation. Um, James, James Hunt would never make it anywhere these days. No, no. Well, it's it, on the other hand, I think, you know, it's kind of crazy, um, entertaining driver who'd either win or crash. Actually, you know, maybe he would, you know, maybe he, he would have a bit of a following. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, Logan Sargent, he does, you know, he's he's doing well with his with his rookie year. Um, he's kind of, you know, a lot stronger than I th- I thought he probably would be given his his Formula Three record, where he was he was good but not always amazing. I th- I felt it's an interesting year in Formula Two. It seems that even a little bit madder than usual, and it has been quite mad for quite a long time. Um, so some mm-hmm. of the early races, just the sort of up and down and, and uh, you know, people crashing and um, failed pit stops and uh, driving through the pit lane when they shouldn't and losing losing wins in all kinds of weird and wonderful ways. It's just particularly like the first half of the season did just seem particularly loopy and hard to get a handle on on who might sort of come through and, and do well. I'd say I think he's not a particularly overwhelming driver, but... Logan. Logan, yes, sorry, I've mm. lost my train of thought there. And to be honest, none of them have been, considering there's been 10 races, no one's won more than three. Felipe mm. is the only one, and that that's it's been a long time since we've seen that, really, in Formula 2, because normally there's someone who stands out and is coming 
at least in the top three pretty much every weekend. And this year there hasn't been a lot of that. So I think for teams who want to bring in a younger driver, it's difficult because there's no one obvious as mm. as it were. But It's a bit like that year that, that Mick won um, where it was a little bit less clear cut. Um, yeah. But, you know, even more so than that, I think. I think out of this crop, because nobody's standing out, I have a feeling someone's going to surprise us. I hope it's Liam. Hopefully, friend of the show. I hope it's Jamie. Oh, it's, well, that's <laughs> yeah. This this is this is the thing. As nobody is standing out, does that mean that someone like Jamie Chadwick is going to get a shot at F three next year? Because okay. yeah, or even F two. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, well, she is a Williams development driver. Yeah, but so was so- Susie Wolf, and that didn't exactly pan out. I mean, let's and let's let's remind ourselves that she was she was racing against Mick Doohan, who is in um, Formula Two this year. Back when she was in Asian Formula Three, and who's that guy uh, Cordial, who is in Formula Two and Jamie isn't? That kind of seems a bit ridiculous. You know, there are people that she was she was competitive with, who have gone on to do Formula Two and even Formula One in one case. So you know, it's just give her a shot for God's sake. And she needs a shot because she's not earning any more super license points in W series. She needs somewhere to get enough points to get somewhere. And totally. W series isn't doing that for her, but unfortunately nowhere else wants to take her. Yeah. Let's start wrapping this up, otherwise we're just gonna get into a why Jamie isn't in a decent car spiral, which is basically <laughs> what this podcast could be, because we're we're all very much for that. Okay, we can go around the table here. Spa this weekend, who's gonna win, Adam? I want to say that that a Ferrari a Ferrari is capable of winning it in terms of the car is capable of winning it on paper, but I think that I I, I have absolutely zero confidence that Ferrari will manage the race properly or that the car will actually get to the end of the race, even if it is winning it. Well, let, let's change the question around. Pick a lap number at which Ferrari is going to throw everything away. <laughs> <laughs> Three uh, to the first end. round of pits, probably pit stops. Um, they might they might drop the uh, you know the proverbial at that point. I don't know. And uh, to, in all honesty, as much as I would, I would you, you know, and I know that you're going to go on to this. As much as I would like Mercedes to be closer to them and, and up there challenging. I think obviously the inevitable is that if a Ferrari doesn't win it, that you know Max will win it because I don't know what's going on with Perez at the moment, but he's either driving a different car or his confidence is low, or I don't know. But um, yeah, it, it doesn't. He doesn't seem to be nearly as quick, Matt. Um, I'm I'm just going to say it's it's going to be a, a crazy wet dry race, and Yuki Tsunoda will win. Ooh, like <laughs> everyone crashing into wins. Yeah, Elf. like four cars will finish and um, and Yuki will win. Yeah, well, I personally think it could be like last year. We don't even get a race, but <laughs> unfortunately, I'm thinking more Max, and that's purely because he's the more reliable of the driver and and has the more reliable car at the current that we are at the moment. But you know, in an ideal world, it would be a a red driver up there. I mean, Max has said that he wants Mercedes to do us take points off Ferrari, but I'm hoping it'll be someone taking some points off Red Bull. Yeah, <laughs> I think George yeah. is going to win. I'm, I have I have a feeling in my water. I knew we were going to Fulham were going to come back to beat 
Brentford yesterday when everyone else said it wasn't. I've got that same feeling about George this weekend. Well, who knows, you know, what, what difference the floor is going to make, you know, this weekend. So, you know, it could level the playing field out ever, you know, slightly. Whether that means the Mercs will be quicker or the other two will be slightly slower, uh, probably the latter. But, um, you, you know, who knows? But George has certainly got it in him to, to win a race very, very I soon. I think we're all forgetting who did well in the wet last time as well as Mr Nicholas Latifi. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Imagine if we have a Latifi win just as Williams won him gone. Go Canada, go, people. <laughs> go, go Tifi coming out. But did yeah. George not put his Williams on pole last year at Spa in the wet? This second. is true. It was, was it second, second was it? Yeah, second. Max yeah. almost had the yeah, pole. Yeah, because Max pipped him right at the last, and then there was that, that stupid was bit, yeah, it was a nine-hour seconds. race where they only they only did enough laps, so they didn't <laughs> have to refund everybody. Yeah. yeah. Of but course, if there's any legal people listening, of course that was not the reason why they did all those silly laps. <laughs> the and it was allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Right, gentlemen and lady, we've been waffling on for far too long. Let's start wrapping this up. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Matt, welcome. Yes. Thank you, even. Well, thank thank you. And, yeah, we, we did the welcomes already. And Ellie, yeah. welcome to the show. You are more than welcome. Thank you. There we go. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll throw you some more difficult questions next time. Because next time we should have a guest. Who that guest is we don't know yet. And of course, we are still working on Derek Bell's interview, which is sitting on his iPad. So we're hoping that'll get to us soon. But he's coming back to talk to us about Le Mans 95. So that might be a giggle. And we are working on a big one as well, dear listener. We are just waiting to hear back from that person's people. So until next time, thank you so much. This has been The Boundary of Disaster. And good night. Thanks for sticking around and listening to this episode of Boundary of Disaster. Please like and subscribe. If you can leave us a review, that would be amazing. It helps with the algorithms. And of course, tell all your friends and uh, yeah, maybe they'll start to listen to us as well, which would be ace. If you want to support us, there's a Patreon page. The link is in the description. Check out those links. We're going to have the new TikTok and other things in there as well once Ellie gets them up and going. So thanks so much. Until next time, bye.